Hey, Miss Anstead. This is Reese Riley and Noah's podcast, The Hidden Apartheid, where we'll be talking about the apartheid in South Africa and the one that most people don't really know about, the one in Canada. Hey. Welcome to the welcome to the podcast. So, as for so those of you who aren't us, um, we both went and we re, uh, all of us here went and we researched some stuff about apartheid, and we have come together to share it with each other. So, go ahead. And to start off, we're going to go with Noah, talking about the actual well, not the actual, but the apartheid in South Africa. Hey guys. So the actual word apartheid is an African word that means separateness or the state of being apart or like a literal translation would be aparthood. Um, yeah, so the apartheid laws were created in 1948, which marked the beginning of institutionalized racism in South Africa. These racial laws affected every aspect of social life, including but not limited to the sanction, sanctioning of white-only jobs and the prohibition of marriage between whites and non-whites. Oof. Yes. Kind of sucks when racism goes all the way through the system like that. And Definitely. Even have their own word for it. Mm-hmm. So these laws were created in 1948, and... One of the major checkpoints, I think, was in 1953, the Public Safety Act and the Criminal Law Amendment Act were passed, which basically empowered the government to declare stringent states of emergency and increase penalties for protesting against or supporting the repeal of a law. The penalties included fines, imprisonment, and whippings, public whippings. So whenever no. somebody protested, they could just decide it was an emergency and do whatever they want, just completely arbitrarily? Mm-hmm. And that is exactly what happened in 1960. A large group of blacks in, I'm not sure if I'm saying this right, Sharpville or Sharpeville? They were Sharpeville. Yep, probably. They refused to carry their identification slips or their passes. And then the government declared a state of emergency that lasted for 156 days, leaving 69 people dead and 187 people wounded. Wow. Wow. Those identification slips remind me of the gold stars the Nazis gave the Jews during the Holocaust. Yeah. And one um, one of the fine print points of this act was during the states of emergency... Anyone could be detained without hearing by a low-level police official for up to six months. Wow. Holy crap. That's like some real jail time just for no reason. Yes, for absolutely, you wouldn't even see a judge or anything. That's pretty undemocratic. But I, that it's a, that was an author, authoritarian time. Yes. So, I, if I remember correctly, South Africa was did ally themselves with Nazi Germany, right? I believe so, yes. It makes sense, like what you said, Riley, with the Holocaust, that, you know, the racist people kind of allied with each other. Yeah. And I have some statistics I can read off, if that's okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, so... Actually, um, y'all are... 
incorrect. In World War II, South Africa joined the Allies, not the Axis. Oh, that is... Well, I'm glad we're not spreading false information. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> glad you glad for the fact check. Thanks, Riley. Thank you, so. Okay, so... All right. I'll get on with the statistics. Okay, so the population in South Africa of blacks to whites was 19 million blacks to 4.5 million whites. And in this very, like, drastic difference... 13% of the land allocation went to blacks and 87% went to whites. Less than 20% of the share of national income went to blacks and 75% went to whites. The infant mortality rate was 20% urban areas and 40% in rural areas for blacks and only 2.7% for whites. Wow. So the white majority just was like, uh-huh, what if I had everything? White minority. White minorities. It, it, Very it big majority. Yep. Man, that's that's really crazy. It's a huge it's difference. Like just a few people decided we're going to take everything for ourselves and enforce it with corrupt military and police systems. Mm-hmm. Not crazy. Not good. Yep. Something that's a little bit different. It's not full on, you know, huge swaths of the population against each other. But in Canada, they have an apartheid as well, which is against the indigenous people. So the difference between it and the South African apartheid is that is the amount of people involved. So it's two groups kept separate because of their race. But the indigenous people have already been mostly stamped out when you know, the colonists came and they just started taking all the land and killing people. And then the train of tears in Canada, where they moved everybody under reservations. I mean, they've already been shoved into little pockets everywhere and have most of the stuff taken from them. Um, one of the biggest examples of cruelty that I could, you know, find was, you know, we've had our own re-education centers, but the Canadians had boarding schools where they forcibly separated kids from their parents and sent them to these schools way far away from everywhere else in like the middle of, you know, cold. And about 150,000 kids were sent there. And they were abused and forced to sleep in like the basement and they were malnourished. A lot of the kids, a lot of kids died, a lot of them especially dying from trying to escape and freezing to death. And they were just buried in unmarked graves. Right now there's some guys going around and trying to find where the unmarked graves are and maintain them and stuff. And they found one grave under a parking lot. Wow. So they're just yeah, not... so unmarked, in fact. Like, there's not even a little rock or something that they just have no idea where they are. Nope, just the burying. I'm going to bury these children pit because they're not real people. They're indigenous. It was really, really, really messed up. And what made it even more messed up is that it was some of the schools were run by churches. You'd go, you know, you'd get your kid sent to have their culture completely erased to some protestant or catholic boarding school and the church sponsored all this stuff uh the last school also closed in 1998 so it isn't like this is just you know something that happened in the way back it's like barely barely 20 years ago that is way too soon yeah way way too soon and in a sense the apartheid is still going on against the natives today 
they're mistreated, they're not afforded, you know, job opportunities, discriminated against, forced to live on reservations, and generally just kept away from Canadian society. They're separate. There has been a bit of progress, though. Canada has issued a formal apology, and so it's the some of the churches, and taken some action, but it's not nearly enough. I mean, it's not even, it's not dismantled yet. Everybody's still forced to live on reservations, but there are some organizations out there, um, particularly Stand Canada, that are trying to, you know, say, hey, this is bad. This is what's going on. You know, let's let's try to try to fix it up. Another thing that was that I found kind of interesting. I know I'm moving a bit at a breakneck pace, but I don't want to make this go on too long. Um, Canada failed to take a stance against apartheid in South Africa. They kind of just when the, there was this big UN meeting talking about it. You know, U.S. is all like the U.S. is condemning it, but Canada just kind of dodged around the question. And started railing on their government. So he's like, you know, you've never ever taken a really strong stand against apartheid ever, Canada, except for that one time. But then you immediately recanted, and it was just. And there's been some documents, you know, kind of deep down, where you know Canada had some really good relations with South Africa for a while, and it they may have been inspired by the treatments of treatment of the natives, the apartheid how they were able to just kind of, you know, force them over there and take everything for themselves. And while it is a bit of an iffy claim to make, just, you know, the similarities between the two scenarios and the fact that there are some documents that suggest it, I just felt like it was worth bringing up. Yeah, I guess from what we see here that the, the root of apartheid is that you see the other party as less than human and yourself as as a human. Yeah, you're better than they are, so you deserve so on and so forth. So to kind of take this, and if we go back to South Africa, we rather recently, South Africa has shocked their apartheid. And they did it without a massive civil war. And so though the legal resolution of apartheid was a huge step forward, South Africa is not out of the woods yet. There's the social aspects of the society, and those have been slower to change. Black voters and minority voters are still frustrated that their poverty level is much higher than those of white people. So even though all those uh, white-only jobs and whites own 83% of the land stuff has been removed. Like, I'm, it's not balanced yet, but black people do own more land than they did back then. The poverty disparity is still there. However, it's not all bad. As the Council of Foreign Relations quotes in their statistics, other data also shows some improvement. For example, in 1996, only 58.2% of households had access to electricity and 61% had access to piped water. But in 2016, it was 90% with electricity and 83.5% with piped water. So that's a pretty big difference. Yeah. I mean, it's not like, you know, we've erased racism, woohoo, but that's still a pretty big thing. Yeah, the racism isn't gone by any means in South Africa. It's, there are tons of, well, 
I don't want to say tons, but there are lots of terrorist groups and radicals in South Africa who believe that their race should hold all of the political power and that there shouldn't be any sort of mix, uh, like balanced holdings with groups of both white and black terrorists trying to bully others into falling into line with their beliefs through terror attacks. And so the white people believe they should go back to apartheid, but the black people think that the white people need to pay for apartheid. And I mean, obviously this isn't representative of the sentiment of the entire country, but there are still those radicals who believe that white people need to pay or the apartheid was good. Yeah. And on the steps out of apartheid, Encyclopedia Britannica says the government also had to grapple with a host of daunting institutional problems associated with the transition to a post-apartheid society. But they handled that by letting blacks join the civil service, letting the anti-apartheid guerrillas become members of the police and the army, and they made new municipal governments that embraced both the old white cities and the black township satellites like those satellite cities that sprang into existence around those cities after apartheid. And so they really restructured their society to be more inclusive and let black people have a chance. That's a, that's a good thing to do. And so it took a long time for America to do all that with our Jim Crow laws and segregation, even when it was illegal, all that stuff. Yeah. And so for Canada, they can look to South Africa as an example to step away from their apartheid. But even though it is possible to break free, it's not easy and it's definitely not going to happen all at once. The first step for the Canadian people is to recognize that their apartheid exists. Because like Reese was saying earlier, it's kind of on the down low. Not everybody knows that it's there. And after they, they find out about it and recognize that it's bad, they have to remove the laws that enable the, that apartheid and tear down the institutions that enact it, like those boarding schools. And then the final and the hardest step, and one that South Africa has still not completely carried through, is to mend the social and political gap between people and the rest of Canada so that everybody has an equal opportunity and sees each other as equal humans. That was very well said, Raylan. Thank you. Um, I have a question, if that's okay. Yeah, that's fine. Go ahead. Oh, absolutely. Okay. Um, Riley, I, since you were talking about how the Canadians are in, in apartheid, but some are not realizing it, I wondered if you thought that might be the same with America right now. I would say that America is not in in apartheid right now, but we're definitely kind of like South Africa, where we're still trying to transition out of one. Because like Reese was talking about with the Jim Crow laws and segregation, we used to split black people from white people. And now we're, we're in that stage where we're trying to mend the social gap and the economic gap between black people and white people so that everybody has their equal opportunities. Because right now, as we can see with the Black Lives Matter and everything, there's still prejudice and there's still some systemic inequalities still in there that we need to get rid of. 
Okay, yeah, that's perfect. Thank you. No problem. All right, so I think that's that's our time. So it was nice hearing everybody's research and, you know, all the topics that we had. It's cool to see how it all, you know, weaves together and how people don't, you know, people don't just throw around the word apartheid. Like Canada's apartheid and, you know, South African one really are quite similar and, you know, and the meaning of the word thought it was very cool um well thank you guys for coming on oh yeah no problem yes cut our job (laughs) (laughs) all right so i'll i'll see y'all later and that was hidden apartheid all right